0: Welcome to episode 220 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from Chicago, Illinois, it's the godfather,
1: Dave Harbarger. For the intro, it's just me this week. Just for the intro. Just for the intro. However, you know, this week we're going to be doing normal stuff, stuff we do after sets come out, but... It's going to be me and Stan starting off the show talking about Sleeve, Belief, Heave, and Modern. And I'm totally stealing the intro from you right now. Uh, Seriously? (laughs) Because I didn't know what else to say. All right. And then uh, second half of the show, it's going to be Shane and Dave talking about Sleeve, Belief, Heave, and Pioneer, including Rona Combo, the hot deck over the weekend. Not as hot and modern right now, but I do think there's a lot of interesting things here. Yeah. Yeah. It's...
0: Dave is doing double duty this week and he's stealing my segments. So this 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 modern section about an hour will do I guess you guys will do an hour in Pioneer. I don't know. I won't be there. Right. <laughs> exactly. All right, with all that out of the way, let's let's jump right into housekeeping so we can talk about all these decks. We've we've got a lot of decks to cover, Dave. You and I really overworked it. No new patrons, no increased tiers, but we do have a new review from NH one ten eight eight six.
1: You all know this person. Yeah, know him, love him. The unmistakable NH110886. Absolute legend, NH110886. Thank you so much. Shouts out Doomwake by name. It's starting to happen more frequently around these parts.
0: Makes you think.
1: Makes you yeah, think. Makes you think.
0: Also, they posted a review on 420, so maybe that's why they mentioned Doomwake, because they weren't thinking clearly. <laughs>
1: I'm surprised they didn't mention you given the date, <laughs> as, we've, as, we've, as we've discussed. You know, on 420 this year,
0: I was in Brighton, England. Uh-huh right on the southern coast south of london and um i was there for work and after my work obligations were done i, I went out for a walk
1: mm-hmm. um did some soul searching to get some brighton rock from the uh from the vendors on the boardwalk down there
0: you know i did not you can just pick up rocks off the beach it's a it's a pebble beach That's, right but you, don't have, That's you not... don't have to pay for it i did go to a vendor and i bought um tchotchkes with my kid's name on them oh nice we did do that but on the evening of 420 when i went out for a walk and did some soul searching you know what i saw a fox a beautiful red fox my spirit animal was like it's like that simpsons episode when homer eats a chili pepper that's way too hot and he meets like a spiritual coyote it was like that
1: but let's just say i didn't eat any chili peppers if you know what i'm saying right i had greek food yeah it's all the tzatziki foxes (laughs) love the smell you know we actually have foxes in our backyard here in uh, in lovely oak park illinois it happens once or twice a year we'll see a fox wow. they are big they are big. a lot bigger than you think i never saw a fox when i was in sh- chicago or the suburbs i'm kind of surprised are you sure they're not coyotes yeah very they're red they have the white tip tail like it's a yeah. total cliche fox looks exactly like breath of the wild you know i've been playing breath of the wild again for reasons i don't know why Why kids love it because it's one of the so. best games of all time yeah so i, I pre-ordered the sequel actually that's why I wanted to get it to play to have my kids be able to play the sequel with me, I guess. That's cool.
0: So we got a new review. You two can leave reviews on Apple.
1: You can also support the show with your money.
0: We'll we'll take it. Over at Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. You if you have extra money to spend, you can even buy merch of ours at thedivedown.com slash store. Um, if you want to spend some money on yourself and support us along the way, you can get a ManaTrader subscription. If you use promo code Down 2023 it'll give you 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. It's a good way to get better at Magic. And try new cards when sets release. Wink, wink. Like we did. That's what we did. Yeah. Um, if you have even more money to spend and you want to get some, some soaps and grooming supplies, check out Barrister and Man same promo code the dive down 2023 gets you 15% off your first order at Barry man and we all all have money for paper cards let's not pretend we don't and you can get a discount on paper cards over at nerd rage gaming if you use promo code dive 8 get 8% off your
1: order from nrg Yep. thank you so much for all of your support everyone over the years yes thank you so we're just gonna dive right in right yeah yeah, so we're
0: going to do believe heave i feel like we haven't done a sleeve believe heave in a while so let's just a, a very quick 30 second refresher on what this criteria means right and, and what we ultimately did we saw cards from march of the machine in the wild and we decided to try them out on magic online and in some cases they're new ish decks in other cases they're old decks that have new cards and the sleeve believe heave spectrum basically is you know a sleeve deck is one that we actually are very confident in so that's us saying like you should try this deck out sleeve it up rent it online because it seems to have legs the believe side of things is kind of like there's something here we're not as confident in this deck's longevity, but we think it's doing something interesting and maybe something powerful, even though it still needs a little work or iteration to, to find its final form. And the he, the heave rating The is, heave is the one that hurts, Stan. Heave is the one that hurts, because that's the one that we get wrong <laughs> the most. <laughs> <laughs> and that basically means we think the deck is not good, and yeah. we challenge you to prove us wrong. In the comments.
1: Yes. Yes. Or on we other will podcasts. will never find us. Yeah. On other podcasts. Yeah, indeed. This is where we talk about other podcast creators, creations and say that they're heaves and then uh, get them wrong. Exactly. All right. So there has been some interesting stuff going on in modern from March the Machines, has there not?
0: Indeed there has. Yeah. I, I saw enough interesting stuff that I dipped my toes back in modern for the first time in a couple months after being kind of like a pioneer main
1: lately. Wow. I didn't yeah. realize it had gotten that out of hand.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. It's,
1: it's mana beak is what it is but not uh, that not card is is strong and also ghost beak it's yes. good too because that one costs one sometimes yeah, yeah. and spell
0: color just just spell color doing its thing
1: yep all right so why don't we say what are the four decks we're talking about today just overall let's just give the names real quick stan what did you play before we hop in i played
0: kuldotha aggro by one aspiring spike and i played um this deck doesn't have a a, a a cool name, but it's
1: Baral and Karizev by Harry MTG. Mm. Yeah. um, I played, you guessed it. I played blue red prowess with Kenra spell slinger, Kenra spell slinger um, by young Dingo who got a five mm. Oh with, with that deck earlier last week. And then I also played Jund creativity by that got uh, a top eight in a challenge over the weekend by Ziang. Hawaii Kai, We and we'll be talking about all those. All right, Stan, you're gonna go first. Okay. Let's talk about Kuldotha
0: Aggro first, um, because I think this deck got noticed pretty early on after the set went live. Aspiring Spike brewed it up, did a couple leagues with it, trophied with it, and then someone named Grinder A, which is a name I recognize, but I don't know if we know who this person is, but Grinder A then took the same exact seventy-five into a prelim and came in fifth finishing 3 and one with this deck. So this deck is basically a new version of 8 Whack, mm. And what it's doing is it's running eight copies of Kuldotha Rebirth and the similar Gleeful Demolition. And what those two cards say is... As an additional additional cost to cast Rebirth or Gleeful Demolition, sack an artifact, then put three 1-1 red goblin creature tokens onto the battlefield. Gleeful Demolition actually lets you destroy any artifact. Um, Kuldotha makes you sacrifice your own. Um, so it's got those eight cards to make tokens. It also has another really interesting token maker that I've never played
1: with called Chatterstorm, a Modern Horizons 2 card. Ah uh, yes, Chatter Storm. It's a very cool card. um yeah. it has storm on it.
0: It does. One in a green storm create a one-one green squirrel non-creature token. So basically, for every spell you cast before Chatter Storm, you make an additional squirrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you storm off, I, I, I guess there's a few ways you can storm off. But the twelve storming cards we have are four Memnite. Four Ornithopter, and four Burning Tree Emissary. Burning Tree Emissary? Burning Tree Emissary. Yeah. Yes. And granted, I'll go into more detail about this, but these 12 cards, these 12 Storming cards, as I put it, aren't exclusively there for Chatterstorm. They have other applications too. Um, Memnite and Ornithopter in particular are good with our Kuldotha Rebirth effects. But let's say you don't have Kuldotha Rebirths and you don't have Chatterstorm, you can also... Still swing with these little zero-man artifacts because it's got four copies of Reckless Bushwhacker. That's the tuna red surge, one and a red. Mm -hmm. It costs one and a red if you've cast a spell before it. Haste, it's a two-one. And if you play it, surge cost, creatures you control get plus one, plus zero and gain haste until end of turn, as well as three goblin bushwhackers, which is like kicker. It's a single red for a one-one with kicker red. If you kick it, creatures get plus one, plus zero and haste. And then the last card that sort of just, just like bridges the gap between all of these disparate synergies is Valdaren Epicure, single red for a 1-1 one, one. when it enters, it deals one damage to each opponent and it creates a blood token. Um, oh, I forgot to mention Chromatic Star, four a Chromatic Star. We know what Chromatic Star does. At this point, you might be saying, Stanislav, why are you sleeve believing this deck? It doesn't have any March of the Machine cards in here.
1: Yeah, this just sounds like a really weird... This just sounds like a really weird 8-whack duck, like you said. Yes, but it does
0: have a payoff from Marsh of the Machine, and it is a card that I was excited about on the pod, and that's Ancient Imperasaur. 5-green-green green for a 6-6 six, six with Convoke. It's got Trample and War 2, and it enters the battlefield with 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it for each creature that Convoked it. Basically, this is that big old dinosaur that is a 0-mana twenty twenty if you have enough creatures to Convoke it.
1: We did it. We found we found the modern shell that abuses ancient Imperiosaur, mm-hmm. and really, we probably should have known, right? That it's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna have Memnites and Ornithopters, and then yeah. we're gonna make a bunch of tokens. I was a little surprised to see the shell come together with the Coldotha Kondoth, Rebirth slash Gleeful Demolition whole shell, but it does make a ton of sense to just throw this in Bushwhacker yeah. and just kind of see what happens.
0: Super clever, totally agree. So I play the deck. And the reason I picked it up isn't just because of the dinosaur. It's because aspiring spike in his content creation genius kept posting screenshots about making like turn two, turn three, 2020s.
1: Yeah. I saw those as two, those two over the weekend. Yeah. And
0: I was like, I want to do that. Why not me? (laughs) It
1: can't be, it can't be any of us. Why not you? That's right.
0: Maybe a 2020 can be good.
1: So I did not watch his VODs.
0: I just figured I'm just going to learn as I go. You know, typical man, not reading the instruction
1: manual. Do, do you need instructions for this deck, stand Really? Oh, do you think you so? do. You do. Really?
0: In fact, let me tell you, this deck was really hard to play out of the box. Hmm. And that was because I just approached it wrong. I was thinking about it as an ancient Imperasaur deck, and it's not an ancient Imperasaur deck. It's an eight whack goblin deck that has Imperasaur as a top end finisher, but it doesn't need Imperasaur to do its thing. That's kind of just like
1: the gravy on top. I don't know if you perhaps remember several years ago where I played 8-Wack for the show. And I don't remember why. I think it was a Goblins episode that we did. Does that sound familiar?
0: I don't remember the episode. I only remember that you did
1: very well with it. Yeah. I, t- I took it to a 4-1. And like it was a whisker away from getting a trophy yeah. with it. I remember the time. And it was just very fun, very fast. and. Extremely cheap at the time. Now, this deck is not as cheap, even on Magic Online. I think in Magic Online back in the day, this was like a 30 ticket deck. There's a lot of expensive cards in this particular build, but it's still 150 tickets. So, like your kind of medium, lowest budget plan, kind of for Mana Traders deck that you could try. How'd it go? So, yeah, I mean, I really fumbled for a while, Um, just
0: like playing cards wrong, objectively. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I figured I need to figure out what like Spike and Grinder A learned and that's when I went back and watched the VODs and it, it all unlocked for me the real heart of this deck the reason I called it an 8-whack deck is those Kaldrotha rebirth effects and it, it it having a rule of 8 is basically the synergy that this deck is, is truly built around uh-huh. it's the, the Memnites Ornithopters Kaldrotha effects coupled with some Chromatic Stars and Vodalkin Epicure Eldar Epicure, mm-hmm. that give this deck, I think, one of its most powerful average game states, which is just like going super wide with tokens that you can um, not infrequently just uh, pump up with
1: your bushwhacker effects. Yeah. It is amazing how consistent this shell is. Like I said, I didn't try it with Rebirth. I tried it with the stuff that makes goblin double goblins and other ways, but you can often set up a deck like this to just turn three i'm gonna have five creatures out and i'm gonna get a bushwhacker out and suddenly it's gonna be like i'm attacking for 12 mm-hmm. on turn three it's it's really fast in that way
0: yeah and, and one of the biggest mistakes that i kept making specifically was i was just playing chromatic star like i was playing a tron deck and that's just not what it's for here like it is sack fodder in this deck primarily and you only are running as a cantrip if it's like a late game draw and you need to like find some gas, maybe because you're top decking
1: and you don't have a gleeful demolition or, uh, god, cold Ulta rebirth. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I mean, the thing that's nice about it is that if you sacrifice it to one of the rebirths, you get a draw, right? I was just reading the text of it. It's not part of the sacrifice ability to get the draw off of chromatic star. Just double checking. I thought I thought that was how it worked. So that's it's nice. True.
0: That's true. You need, you need yeah. the sack to to get the mana, but even then, like just using it as a cantrip that produces mana and draws you a card mm. is, is the wrong way to play it in this deck. Yeah, yeah. And, and likewise, Chatterstorm, another very interesting card that you sort of want to hold onto until you get like two or three storm triggers with your zero mana artifacts or your Burning Tree Emissaries. And I think one of the other parts about this deck that made it somewhat difficult is like this tension that you get in some of your opening hands if you have zero drops with cold the cards um, as well as chatterstorm and then you have to decide whether it's better to get the goblins down as quickly as possible or hold your zero drops for a better storm payoff um, from a chatterstorm later on and I think part of that decision is just based on like the texture of your hand and and what's going to actually produce the most tokens for you in the shortest amount of time because this is like, let's go wide and go as aggro as quickly as possible. But I can see certain situations where if you have an Ancient Imperasaur and Chatterstorm and Memnites, regardless of your Kuldrotha rebirths, like sometimes you have to make the decision on what's actually going to get a twenty twenty 20 as quickly as possible because that in and of itself can just like win a lot of games usually, even if
1: um, you're not making as many goblins on turn one or two as you could. Yeah. But did that happen for you? that's my question with this deck is that we did we saw the screenshots it's a flashy thing i saw a number of people trying out ancient periosaur in lots of different ways did you manage to bring it home with the dinosaur
0: i managed to cast a couple cheap dinosaurs i never got a 20 20 down or if i did maybe once but there were a few times where i was able to like convoke it for like five or six of the seven mana um if i'm pretty sure i only got it down at no mana just once mm. Okay. And when I say five or six, that means like I was
1: actually only paying like one or two mana for this thing. Right. I was convoking five or six creatures. It's a one or two mana, 16, 16 or one or eight, like whatever. Right.
0: Which also good. I mean, it has evasion and protection that said, like I found myself in situations where even though I was casting it for cheap, like war two is not hexproof, And Mm -hmm. in the matches where I, like i played a against scam with this deck and they just terminated it and they spent four mana to terminate it but you know like that's worth it cuz otherwise they they they'd lose right. um immediately so, like, yeah against like literal terminator like dread bore i guess two mana spells that say destroy target creature you you just do it and i think even in modern like unless you get the sword down on turn 3 which is possible i think spike did on turn 2 once um chances are, like, it could get killed unless you are able to answer it very quickly. And and then likewise, like, it may have even been in that same scam matchup. I would have it in my opening hands, and then I would just get griefed and thoughtsies to death, and, like, you're never casting it if it's thoughtsies out of your hand. Of course. Right.
1: Or some key card, like, rebirth is taken out of your hand, and you're left with a hand that's just ornithopters and memnites and ancient imperiosaur. And you're kind of like, well, okay. yeah, Yeah. So, that was really the match that made me
0: realize, like, I can't be going all in on Empiresaur. Like, there needs to be something else here, and that's when I went back, read the instructions, and and figured out that like a lot of this deck's power is in the tokens, and the Empiresaur is kind of the cherry on top. So, yeah, you know, the fact that like now a couple of people have done all right with it online makes me think that this is gradable on the eight wax scale. So like, if you think Eight Wack is a sleeve believer heave, like you can just slot this deck into that spectrum. I think some people love playing Eight Wack and have probably struggled with it since the advent of Fury. And maybe this is a new way to to kind of get under Fury decks. Fury's still a problem, of course. Like a single Fury will negate your Kuldroth or Rebirth, but
1: it's like you get under Fury by getting over it. Yeah, <laughs> by yeah. making a giant thing it can't kill Exactly. There's the things it can kill. Yeah, right. right so overall deck is
0: cute very hard um i think if you don't know how to pilot it and even then like you still have to make decisions about how you're sequencing all of like these individual parts but kind of fun and we
1: we might see it appear from time to time and stan you got to do the thing your final thought on this deck bottom line
0: i mean i i i I believe in it i guess on the fact that like it's already done well in a somewhat well in a prelim and Mm -hmm. like maybe if more people at this. the at the skill level of Spike and Grinder give it a shot then maybe they can inter- iterate on it further Spike was really high on Chatterstorm like when he after he added it i, I guess chat suggested it to him and after he added it he said it was a really good suggestion i was less convinced like i kind of feel like it creates tension and it's not necessarily providing like the best payoff but for the fact that like you sort of need it to uh, convoke the green pips in Imperasaur. Mm-hmm. so if you can find another way at very low mana that doesn't require you to like go all in on elves or something else so just like create green pips for convoke like maybe there's a, a
1: way to improve this deck still so believe minus believe middle yeah just middle.
0: right down the middle
1: right down the middle all right well thanks for that i think that's going to be the deepest that actually might be the deepest deck dive we have on this particular episode Uh, i played a couple decks as we said mostly they added one card i mean kind of similar to what stan was talking about too but you know having this is one of the first decks i've also seen with gleeful demolition in modern since that was printed in phyrexia all will be one so there's kind of two newish cards in there still gotta believe all right so here's what i'm talking to want to talk about first today this shouldn't surprise you, Stan. I don't think it does r- surprise you, but I want to talk about the Kenra Spell Spear version of Jeskai Prowess, Jeskai exclamation mark, or uh, asterisk Prowess. It's, um, you know, sideboard white cards for removal, basically. It's one white card. Two. Uh, oh, yeah. It's got, path uh, and Prismatic. Okay. Prismatic. Uh, anyway, so this deck is was piloted by Young Dingo towards the end of last week. Got a 5-0, like I said in the intro, and... You know what it is it's prowess it's breach prowess that everybody has seen going around lately just like we talked about in the spoiler episode but we were removing whatever two drop we had and playing with kenra spell spear instead so it's your dragon's rage channeler monastery Swift spear soul scar mage kenra spells spell spear expressive iteration lava dart lightning bolt mutagenic growth one on holy heat mana morphos mishra's bauble underworld breach and that is the deck There's only two Breach in this deck, which is pretty interesting. So it's cutting back on it some, but uh, yeah, that's it. What does it cut to play the Spell Spear? It's cutting generally, you know, there's been a lot of, am I going to play, how many Breaches am I playing? Some I have as many as three, right? So it cuts down to two. And then also, am I going to play third path Iconoclast was kind of, or or Sprite Dragon is in a lot of these lists, or also Stormwing Entity. Still, occasionally I saw somebody else actually top-aided a challenge over the weekend in Modern with a Blue-Red Prowess deck that had Stormwing Entity in it, like it's 2020. Um, so that's what it is. It's like, what's your bigger threat? This, this deck is built around Kenra Spellspear as that. So first thing I wanted to say about this really quickly is it's been a while since I played the Prowess shell like this, and uh, I was reminded pretty quickly... This deck is pretty powerful (laughs) and fast. Uh, It's certainly an Underworld Breach deck that I understand a little bit better. I feel more able to kind of navigate my way through how it's it's supposed to work than the ones that are more combo-based or even the ones that are more value-based but aren't prowess. You know, this is much more just kind of, we're going to be aggro and then occasionally we're going to do something wild with Underworld Breach to recoup a whole bunch of card advantage. And... So the overall shell is really solid. I think this is a solid tier two deck, like mid tier two deck, essentially, in the in the modern meta. It's going to have times when it pops up. So this is just a tweak on a deck that already exists. And like I said in the spoiler episode, always struggled with that two additional threat slot what are we doing here why are we doing it do we really want to do it do we really like sprite dragon do we not like all that kind of stuff i've always kind of been down on all of the threats except for a brief time when storming entity was extremely good but that time is long gone since we've been in a world of you know solitude and, and things like that uh and on holy heat which yeah that's that was kind of the final nail in stormwing for me but you know breach does crazy things like i've one thing that's particularly interesting, or something that's that you should always keep in mind with a deck like this, is like I had turns where I cast Mishra's bauble six or seven times in a single turn, where it was like I'm giving prowess triggers to a moderately sized army, giving them all plus seven, plus seven, and even if you kill them when I go to my next turn, I'm gonna draw <laughs> I'm gonna draw seven cards. You know what I mean? And some of that's enabled by death right uh, dragons rage channeler, of course, DRC. Uh, so that you know when you cast Bauble, you only spend one card out of your graveyard at a time. Potentially, you know if you have two DRCs in play, that's what happens. If you have one DRC and the escape is only two, it's still you still can get up to a, a lot of casting really, really quick with that. You of course have to balance not making your Dragon's Rage Channeler turn into from a three-three into a one-one if you're using it as an um, an offensive threat there. But anyway, yada yada yada. Prowess is good, I think. Prowess is a totally fine deck. So, Kenra Spellspear, it's great. Let, let's let's remind the <laughs> listeners of the text of this card. You want me to remind you of the text? Kenra Spellspear is a 2-2 for a generic and a red. It's a jackal warrior. It's an uncommon in March of the Machine. With trample, prowess. So, the front side, trample, prowess, 2-2 two, two for two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good numbers. Sure. Then it has an activated ability that is three generic and a blue Phyrexian mana that transforms it only as a sorcery. And the back is Gitaxian Spellstalker. And this is a 3-3. And it's a 3-3 with Trample, Ward 2, Prowess, and Prowess. So it has Prowess twice, and Trample, and Ward 2.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's funny that we're both talking about threats that have Ward 2 on Indeed. Them. Yeah. I will say, Ward 2 is pretty good with this particular deck and card for me. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. But I will say... For me, this is the first time that I felt like I had a two-drop that I liked in Prowess since I had Stormwing Entity to play with, since I had a plan that was built around Stormwing Entity. And this one doesn't take as much kind of contortion to make it work because the front side is fine. You, I, I won, definitely won games where... Kenra spell spear was my only ground threat, and I had a couple of dragons rage channelers, or I had manipulated the board to where they have to block the Kenra spell spear, or they want to block the Kenra spell spear, but I make it bigger with mutagenic growth or something like that, and still has trample, so you get that bonus damage that goes over, you know. And then weird things happen, like I played against someone who was on hammer, who just didn't understand how damage reduction works, and they played surge of salvation. When I attacked with my Kenra spell spear, my spell spear was like a nine nine, and they thought that that was going to. Pre- I believe that they thought that was going to prevent all the damage that was going to trample over to them. Which, just a reminder, friends, it does it does not do that. If you know, you still you still are going to take the, the excess trample damage as the controller of the creature that is in combat. So that was kind of a surprise to me, I guess. But the the reason I think it worked actually is because it's extremely simple. It's just a card that gives you extra, has some evasion on it, that is a little more resilient than Sprite Dragon that has that ability to be a reasonable top deck in the late game, where if you top deck this late and you're like, Hey, I happen to have five lands in play. I'm just going to play this and flip it right away. It turns into pretty much a must kill threat that they have to do. And, and you didn't really have anything else to do with the mana anyway. And then on plenty of turns, you do have something to do with the mana, whether that's casting a bunch of spells, setting yourself up for a breach. So even if you just have this as like a Ophi22 out there, the trample and prowess makes it fit right into your plan. And, um, just do what you need. It just does the thing that you need. So I I think that there's not a ton to say. I have seen people try a lot of different things here. I'm not sure it's going to be an all-timer or if this is just a reasonable thing to put into your deck. Um, I'm more leaning towards it's a reasonable thing to put into your deck, but I like it, and I would probably play this version going forward.
0: So can we talk a little bit about Electrostatic Infantry, which is another two-mana trampling prowess adjacent creature right that one's one in a red for a one two trampler whenever you cast an instant or sorcery put a one one counter on infantry and it looks like you in the art david so why wouldn't i play that gray-bearded dwarf is that what you're saying yeah i'm I'm guessing part of that is because it's not prowess so it doesn't proc on things like mishra's bobble and underworld breach correct that's probably the
1: biggest that's huge yeah okay I think that's a huge part of it, especially when some of your breach plan is to just cast Mishra's Bauble like six times. I never, I really, so I played like eight matches with this. I went a 3-2 in a league and then I went 2-1 in practice rooms. So it was like a total of five, five and three across eight matches or so. The... The matches that I won by by abusing breach were almost all based off of casting one lightning bolt from my graveyard, running out of mana available, and then just casting Mutas Bobble or Mutagenic Growth over and over again. Bobble is oftentimes just as good as Mutagenic Growth in those cases because uh, it doesn't hurt you. And so if you're at a low life total, you you can just go wild with Bobble in a full graveyard and go from there.
0: Yeah, the other deck I want to mention, or, or like I guess it's a card, I saw someone play. Uh, a version of Prowess that was running both Kenra Spellspear and a couple copies of the new Urobrask that flips mm. over into a saga. So yes. So their creature package was, um, it was a pioneer version
1: though. So right. In- instead of DRC, they were running Sprite Dragon. Yeah. Um, well, and also instead of un- Underworld Breach, they're running Urobrask. Right. Kind of. Right. Because right. right. Breach which- is banned. Yeah. And so that's like a giant payoff for you to do with a lot of mana. It's just like a top end threat, which is sort of what Underworld Breach is as, as well in some ways. So I think it's it's possible in Pioneer. I looked at that deck list. I didn't play. I played a different deck in Pioneer um, that used a different new card, uh, but it is, uh, is a cool card. It has flying if you want to know what it is. But yeah. So I, I think that it's possible that this could make something happen in Pioneer as well. However, of course, having something with Ward 2 on the back or Prowess on the front and having free spells, like essentially playing the Mutagenic Growth as a uh, protection spell game, especially against damage-based decks, is, is pretty huge and makes it hard for people to get around. So the Ward 2 thing on the back side of the, the Gataxian side of this card it lets you really make your opponent have to spend two spells to try to kill your creature a lot and that is really impossible for them to do. So if you like get through the first unholy heat because of the double prowess and a mutagenic growth and you have a 7 7 left behind, they are they just paid 3 mana for unholy heat. It's really unlikely that they're going to have 3 mana again to pay for a second spell. And so that's kind of that's kind of why I think the ward 2 is maybe a little more effective on this card than it was on imperial sword because you're you don't have any protection spells in the deck that you were talking about earlier. yeah
0: so like i'm guessing i think the reason why we don't see as much prowess these days compared to you know the good times that were 2020 is things like unholy heat fury solitude prismatic ending mm-hmm. right like i think those four cards probably did a lot of damage to prowess and keeping it in check yeah and, and maybe part of that's also the fact that, like, Ragavan and DRC are better one-drops than, than Monastery so Spirit soulscarmage Soulscar Mage, maybe? Yeah, kinda. Do you think that, like, having a beefy threat like Kenra that's supported by Underworld Breach is
1: enough to, like, make prowess a little bit more viable than it's been lately? Um, I think a little bit, but I mean, it's it's been viable in the sense that, like I said, somebody top-aided a challenge with it over the weekend, not even a version that had Kenra sphere in it. They top-aided with a version with Sprite Dragon. You know, I, th- I think that Prowess is a good, aggressive deck that abuses the graveyard. Um, and if you're in a field where you want to play the aggro version of something like that and you don't feel like there's too much graveyard hate out there or you're, you're kind of experienced and you know how to play around it to keep the deck from failing in the face of, of graveyard hate like that, it's, it's, um, I think it's a totally solid tier two plus choice. And I, I think that I don't th- know if Kenra Spell changes that for everybody, but I do think it changes it for me just because I think this card is, I, I like this card better than something like, uh, Sprite Dragon or something like that. The, I mean, the one thing about Sprite Dragon and on, um, and Breach is that Sprite Dragon has haste as well, right? And flying and flying. So it has haste and flying. So if you, if you were going to have counters. a combo turn, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to have a combo turn, the counters don't really matter that much in prowess because almost every game ends on like turn five. So you're kind of trying to kill people when you're doing your big combo turns anyway. Occasionally, you'll get to like Sprite Dragon for value, I think. But that also just means it's around longer to be killed. So a lot of these creatures are sort of like, you know, they're fireballs with legs, basically. But there's other ways to play it too. Uh, I, I think that I'm more likely to keep trying this version just because when the backside happens it's pretty massive. And when you top deck it late, it's pretty good even when you don't have like a giant handful of stuff. And I think that spell uh, sp- Sprite Dragon, if it's one of just a few cards in your hand or you don't have Breach, it's not as good of a card as this is where you can flip it and suddenly you have at least a 3-3 with Trample where one spell suddenly makes it into a 5-5 or even bigger if you're playing Mutagenic Growth or something like that. So it's it can catch up pretty quick. So for me, this is, you know, Prowess is a sleeve. Is a sleeve minus. I would say. I. Th- I don't think this version changes the rating. Prowess is still kind of like a sleeve minus, but it's just. Um. You know. I think this card is totally fine if you want to play a ground pounder instead of Sprite Dragon. All right. All right. All right. Nice. Stan, deck number two for you. We're gonna go. We're gonna speed around these last couple ones.
0: Yeah. Um. I actually have no notes for this one, but I was playing it, like thirty minutes before we recorded. So. And I played it last night, too, so I have I have thoughts. This one is Baral and Kari Zev, um, which I saw in... Okay, so I played against this deck. I was uh, While I was on Cold of Rebirth, someone was playing this deck against me, and then they kept casting free inevitable betrayals against me and stealing yeah. my dinosaurs. And I got in the chat and I was like, your deck is awesome. I want to play it instead of the deck that I'm playing right now. <laughs> Where can I find it? And they clued me into Harry MtG's YouTube channel. and and we know Harry MTG by reputation. I just I wasn't up to date on his YouTube channel, but I guess this is a deck of his creation. And what it is is essentially a new version of the old electro Dominance restore balance deck. So it does have four electro Dominance. It does have four as foretold. And it now adds three Baral and Kari Zev as additional versions of that effect. And that effect is, let's spend zero mana to cast
1: Cascade Spells for free. I see. And so I'm going to read the text of Baral and Kari Zev really quickly, just to help everybody out. Baral and Kari Zev is a 2-4. It's a generic, a blue, and a red Legendary Creature Human, and it says First Strike Menace. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, you may cast a spell with lesser mana value that shares a card type with it from your hand without paying its mana cost. If you don't, create First Mate Ragavan, a Legendary 2-1 Red Monkey Pirate Creature Token, gains haste until end of turn. So, yeah, like you said, your deck now has, what, 11 Electro dominances in it? Is that kind of how it works out? Yes,
0: it also has seven Ragavans because this this deck's creature suite is the three Baral and Karizev plus four Ragavan nimble Pilferers. Fun fact that I didn't realize until I actually played this card is that first mate Ragavan sticks around. If you recall, like the original Karizev, Ragavan would go away. Right. Not not anymore. Now he comes down with haste and and he is here to fight.
1: He's here to be here forever. Wait until you guys see a little ragavan cousin on my upcoming token new token art by the way Can't wait. Got a little it's not ragavan tm it's it's a friend of ragavan but mm. you know yeah it, it, there was one game where i actually got to live the dream where i had both ragavans
0: in play at the same time so yeah. that was fun love but these monkeys the payoff cards here are we have four ancestral vision main deck uh we also have four crashing footfalls main deck um and two inevitable betrayals and the way you cheat... Oh, and I, I should probably read Inevitable Betrayal because this is an MH2 card that never really saw a lot of play. It's Suspend 3 and it costs one blue blue to Suspend. But it when when it resolves, it says, Search target opponent's library for a creature card. Put that card into the battlefield under your control. That player shovels their library. So it's a free way to just like get free bodies.
1: I I had someone play this against me out of... I think out of Crash Gade out of rhinos mm, mm-hmm. against when i was on murktide one okay. time and they were like we're gonna steal your murktides i guess but it was not effective no oh, that's worth. too bad um now baral karizev as well
0: as electro dominance and as like electro dominance and astro like, told astro- they kind of just do one thing right and that's cast your suspense spells for free Baron karizev needs a trigger and the way you're triggering it is with a handful of cheap sorceries in this case, because all of your suspend payoffs are sorceries, and your four sorcery you got four flame slash, that's just a removal spell, and then you have four serum visions and four strike it rich. Strike it rich is also mm-hmm. kind of interesting because it like can help you ramp into uh, a turn two as foretold,
1: but that's sort of what Ragavant
0: does here as well.
1: Yeah, and it also it also has four expressive iteration, yes, which are but sorceries, that, of course, but important that, for other reasons as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's just like yeah. this is an is a deck that doesn't have mana restrictions. Um, yeah,
1: so we play it to to find our combo pieces. Hey, I I think you're right, but I got to tell you, I, I was looking at creativity list this weekend. There are a bunch of four color creativity decks that are only playing one or two expressive iteration now, which blew my mind. But that's a little bit of a side side chat anyway.
0: Mm. Yeah, save it for the next episode. Yeah. So yeah, this deck was interesting. Like I think out of the box is actually a little easier to play than the Kuldrotha Rebirth deck, but maybe that's because like while the Rebirth deck is an aggro deck that kind of has this like quasi combo finish, this is just like a two card combo deck. And the two pieces of your combo are are constantly changing and you have redundancies among them, but like Basically, all you're ever trying to do is like line up a suspend card with, as for Toldor electro dominance, and depending on which cascade spell you can cast on which turn, like you have varying levels of power. So turn two footfalls really good. Turn two ancestral visions, it's it's fine. But what you're really trying to do is like get to footfalls eventually.
1: That's exactly what I was about to say about this deck is that, yeah, it looks like it has a lot of stuff that helps you grind into either you luck into a super early footfalls or you're trying to grind into footfalls still because that's the card that's going to kill somebody. I mean, you can kind of kill Rag- someone with Ragavan with like card advantage, but the payoffs in this deck, you know, as strong as Rhinos are, it's sort of the only one, mm-hmm. right? Like that's yeah. You're you're not going to kill people with Kerry Zav and Baral all that much and kind of go from there
0: yeah I mean i depending on what you're playing against, you can kill them with inevitable trail, like stealing an omnath or a archon of cruelty or like a really big powerful creature is good. make no mistake, and it's it's one of the ways that you can turn your enable cards into threats, like if you don't have crashing footfalls inevitable trail, like we'll get the job done, but it just sort of left me wondering like. It doesn't have, like, strong enough interaction to support, like, either parts of the strategy. So, like, if you want to play a turn one Ragavan game, like, it doesn't have enough removal spells or counter magic or anything to make sure that Ragavan can get through. It just has the form Flame Slash. You could consider Electro Dominance a removal spell because Dominance deals X damage to any target, but you don't produce enough mana to make that really worthwhile. And this deck is primarily designed to just like cast zero drops with Electro Dominance. So like sometimes you can deal one to two, maybe three damage with Dominance, but like
1: the game has to be going a certain way and it's not really designed to go in that direction. Yeah. I mean, getting a five mana in this deck to kill at X3 seems not great. Not great. So I totally understand. Not great, Bob. So yeah, I mean... I think what
0: this shell does though that I appreciate is that it highlights one of the things that makes Baron Karizev interesting and maybe even more versatile than I initially thought. Because when I saw Baron Karizev, I was like, yeah, I want to cheat out like powerful instants and sorceries, but I was thinking in like pioneer terms of like what's super expensive instance and sorceries, including but not limited to like the delve spells that we can delve out for little mana and then, like, get a mana advantage by, like, cheating something else onto the stack. Right. And Harry approached it from the different direction of, like, let's just, like, cheat on time, right? And not have to pay the spend cost of these spells.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also, what if zero... Like, that's the question everybody (laughs) should ask. In you know, you're like, what if if eight? And and another answer is, what if zero? Like, those are the two, the bounding questions of Magic the Gathering is, what if it's a giant spell? What if it's a zero cost spell?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe what this is, is like the beginning inclination that there's other ways to build rhinos that aren't purely Cascade. Because you can you could put Baral and Zev in a cascade deck. Whether or not you should is a whole other question. But the fact that like Rhinos was essentially the strongest thing you can do here, um, with the exception of like occasional inevitable inevitable betrayals or sometimes like post port restore balances. Mm-hmm. Like Rhinos was like the best zero mana proactive approach. And I think like looking at kari zev as a way to cheat out like really proactive threats that cost nothing or actually accrue you value because you're like playing a, a serum visions drawing a card setting up your next few draws and also like putting down eight power with trample on the board um maybe that's what this has really unlocked is like a new version of potential and that is zero what if zero the limit does not exist what's your what's your rating here so for this version like, out of the box, I, I think this is, like, a believe minus, and it's probably closer mm. to a heave just because of, like, what modern is actually about. And really right. that, because this isn't interactive enough, I think, to hang with modern, but f- in terms of, like, the potential of what Baron and Kari can do, like, that, I think is, gives me a little bit more optimism as, like, something to keep an eye out as, like, other one-mana sorceries emerge that maybe, like, are better than Strike it rich and, and serum visions and flame slash.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I believe in the card, not in the deck. Makes sense. All right. Last deck we want to talk about really quickly is as I said, I played an Indomitable Creativity list, Jund Indomitable Creativity List, just to try out one card, and that card is Ren and Realm Breaker in Modern. So this list, uh it's by, as I said, it's by Zink uh Hwokwai from the Modern Challenge on Friday, I believe, of last week. So that would be 4.19. It's a normal list that you would expect. It's Archon of Cruelty, Lightning Bolt, Thoughtseize, Bitter Reunion, Ren and Six, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Modern Staple, for Fable of the Mirror Breaker, uh, 4. Creativity, a couple of Unholy Heats, a couple of persists to Get Your Threats Back Out of the Graveyard, and then you have two kind of spicy cards. One is Titan of Industry from Streets of New Capenna, which is an interesting thing to have as an additional creativity target, I guess, main deck. And then lastly, Ren and Realm Breaker. I'm going to read Ren and Bra- Realm Breaker just so people remember what it is. It's a single generic green green for a Planeswalker with four um, four loyalty when it comes into play. And it says has a static that says, land you control, have tap, add one mana of any color and then it has a plus that says up to one target land you control becomes a 3-3 elemental creature with vigilance, hexproof, and haste until your next turn. It's still a land. There's a minus two that says mill three cards. You may put a permanent card from among the milled cards into your hand. Minus seven, you get an emblem. You may play lands and cast permanent spells from your graveyard. Interesting card. Interesting in this deck. Here's, here's what this card's trying to do in this deck, I, I believe. I don't think it's so much about the color fixing. Because in a way, the only card that really needs color fixing in this deck is Run and Realm Breaker itself. You know, sometimes fetching to make sure you have two green available in a deck where you want mountain, 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 Mountain all the time to make Dwarven Mines and inimitable creativity work is a little something you have to think about, right? It's like you're going to go try and get Zeatorra's Proving Ground pretty early if you can on a turn where it doesn't hurt you to be tapped, all of those kind of things. I do think it's nice to play a creativity deck with Thought Seeds. So after playing this, I can kind of see the appeal of the Jund version versus the Teamer version in some ways. It's more of a, you know, obviously it leans harder on the um, reanimation plan because it has persist handy and it has bitter reunion and things like that all those cards actually i think are pretty good so but you don't need color fixing form to make them work you're already do stretching the mana so i don't think that aspect of random realm breaker really shines here what i do think this is about is being able to play random realm breaker on turn three and then on turn four animating one of your lands so that you can tap it for mana and also use it as a creativity target that has hexproof. Because then your opponent cannot mess with your creativity tar- with the, the target of the spell that you're trying to do. Since most of the opening lines against creativity are, well, I can't do anything about Archon when it gets into play. Either I'm going to spell pierce creativity or I'm going to kill the thing that they're trying to destroy with creativity. And so I think that this deck, that is actually a pretty nice th- tool to have access to in this deck. It's a token that's more... Um, You know, It's a fourth token that's pretty reliable. It's not fully reliant on you having all your mountains done or being able to fetch into a Dwarven Mine, which is really easy in this deck, but sometimes it can be a bit of a hang-up here. But also, that Hexproof thing I think is really key to making sure that your spell is going to go off and you're going to get those Archon triggers at least as much as you can in this deck when that happens. The other thing is, I do think that the minus two has a little bit of utility here where you can not regrow a card completely, but you know, mill something and get access to a permanent card. If you want, um, you can, that plays pretty well, of course, with the persist plan. So if you mill one of your giant threats in the graveyard and you don't want to get it back or you're okay with it going away, like, and, and then you have persist in your hand. So it does sort of unify those two different plans together in a single spot, which is helpful. Um, one thing that I thought was super weird about this deck is the main deck, Titan of Creativity, to me is like, I, I don't know what this card is great against. A bunch of the match... I only played like three matches, three or four matches with this, and I had I had like a 50... I think I had two wins, two losses. You know, what Titan of Industry does is it's a 7-7 with Reach and Trample. So I guess it blocks other Archons, I suppose, might be the thing that, that we're thinking about here. It blocks an Archon... And it puts a token into place for the sacrifice trigger. I I mean, that's one thing I just thought of. But anyway, you choose two modes when the 7-7 comes into play. It says destroy target artifact or enchantment, target player gains 4 life, create a 4-4 rhino warrior creature token, or put a shield counter on a creature you control. Some of those things were moderately useful. Some of them weren't. But I, I did feel like main deck. It didn't really make a lot of sense because really, I when I'm playing this deck main, I just want to get Archon. I want to do like my Plan A during game one, and then kind of see where it goes from there. Uh, my, that's just my opinion. There are two strike it rich in the sideboard, which I would almost rather have main in this deck to make it a little bit faster a little bit you know that chance that you can ramp into something earlier off of it or use the token or something like that i think is almost more useful as a primary game plan than titan but that's kind of where it stops for me there
0: was this your first time playing the gen version of creativity yes it was have you tried it i haven't tried it but i had played against it a bunch and was always really impressed with bitter reunion and like the persist plan um and i know that like you have this love hate relationship with creativity what did you think about like the Jund approach apropos of Renan Roundbreaker. Like, was this more manageable for you as someone who's like
1: mostly tried the other versions of the deck? Yeah, yeah. I I would say I do think this deck is easier to play than the four color one. And so I think if you're someone who's interested in this kind of powerful spell, but you'd rather have proactive disruption like Thoughtseize instead of holding up mana for counterspells and that kind of stuff. I I liked. I I did like playing this deck a little bit more. It did make me want to go back and try four color creativity again, especially since that's on the rise in modern at this point. But um, yeah, I do think I do think this card is uh, this deck is pretty. I do think this deck is decent. I think Ren and Realm Breaker is pretty good in it and probably a worthy inclusion, especially if you want to try to do some of the um, you know even the, the emblem doesn't really do a ton for you in this but it does let you get back like fable the mirror breaker it lets you get back red and six instead if you want to so i think there's a plan there where you as well you can kind of like make your way into uh, you know the lightning bolt recursion plan as well here if you need it so yeah I, I like this deck a little bit better than four color i guess i had an easier time with it but i'm not sure it's as powerful are you ever using
0: any of ren's effects other than the plus one realm breaker and around breaker
1: so the only time that you use the minus two with, with Ren and Realm is when you don't have, when the token isn't going to do anything for you, right? So animating the land, if that's not going to do anything for you, if you don't need a creativity target, doing the minus two to take a shot at drawing a card I think is good, especially if you have a persist plan there to get an Archon into your graveyard off of this mill trigger randomly and then persist. So I don't think it's great in this deck, but I do think that it's good to um, occasionally just fill space Mostly, you are just trying to tick it up and make creatures, and occasionally you're attacking with these three threes and stuff like that if the board is clear. But mostly, it's it's all about that uh, joining of the creativity and persist plans in a single card. I think. So I don't know if this card is a staple of it or not, but I do think Jung creativity is pretty good. I would call this a believe like down the middle as well. I feel the same way about the card. I think random Brawn breaker is probably better in Pioneer than it is in Modern, but here's a place where it could have a home in Modern for what it's worth. Well, there we go. We did it. We talked about four decks in an hour. Yeah, a record that Shane and I surely will not achieve in the second half of this. Have you seen how many notes he has about Rona? People, get ready (laughs) to hear it. He should really be
0: a writer for The Atlantic. Like The Atlantic can (laughs) can publish some articles about MTG.
1: That's right. Just long think pieces about when to cast Counterspell. Why not? Why not? All right, man. Well, this was fun. We did it. Yep, we did it. All right, coming up, Pioneer with Shane and Dave this time. See you guys later. Stay with us. Dave, I've arrived. I'm in, the, I'm in your podcast. It's me, Shane Beeps. After taking the first half of the show off like a real lazy bones.
2: Yeah, here we know,
1: go. You didn't need me you didn't need me for that. I'm sure I'm really
2: excited to hear what you and Stan talked about because I didn't even look at your notes for it because, it's just, you know, I want to hear you guys talk about some decks, but four of them. In fact, we talked oh my, about four oh, decks in an hour. That's, that's ridiculous. Well, I'm good on you all because you know how I do in these deck, these deck notes, but Dave, we're not here to talk about the episode. We're here to talk about some Barrister Man products, upcoming shaving soaps, body soaps, Oh, it's actually going to be in a shaving soap, after save splash, after save balm, adagio, and presto. Dave, let's go back to grade school. Remind me Remind me from music class
1: what adagio and presto mean. Uh, well, adagio, I believe, means a walking pace. Okay. And I believe okay. that presto means fast. 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 Okay. Pre- fast
2: and walk and, and slow ish. It's not, what's it? Is it largo? What's the slow one? L- lagio?
1: Uh, there's a few of them. Okay. Yeah. So you're not, you're not going Leg- to you're not going to legato I believe is the word you're trying to think of my friend sh- sure
2: sure I am so let's talk a little bit so the reason we're bringing these up is they they drop basically on the beginning of May the sh- the samples are available May 2nd of Adagio and Presto. Adagio, Lime, Cherry, Violet Leaf Absolute. I don't know what that smells like, but it sounds good. Lily of the Valley, Musk, and Menthol, which is always an interesting uh, spring and summer scent. Again, shaving soap after Shave, Splash, and Balm. And Presto is Nutmeg, Lavender, Bergamot, Tangerine, Cedar, Violet leaf, lily of this is like there's like ten more ingredients. But lots of
1: like you know, flower, leather, sandalwood, musk. Sounds like an elixir I was trying to make in Breath of the Wild the other day with my kids. You know what I'm how'd saying? that work? Uh, it turned into dubious food. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was like that was my least favorite part of of whatever that game is called. Breath, breath of, of the Wild. Breath of the Mild. Yeah, breath, breath of the
1: meme. Not making good food in the little fire pit. Well, when are you going to be making Barrister and Man Breath of the Mild? <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a seasonal scent, is it when the new app when the new Zelda comes out? Yeah, the new Zelda actually. Yeah, we'll talk more about that when it drops. This is this one's
2: also an eau de toilette, and so these are two new things that are coming out early in May. I'm gonna hopefully get some samples, and then you know they're they're gonna be really nice. I imagine some nice. They sound spring and summery, so I'm hyped for these new products. You know what's else coming in the early May, Dave? Uh, May flowers. Yes, Mayflowers, and five, five new eau de toilettes. Wow. Cheshire. Cheshire, Cologne, Russe, Lava Neil, Fougere Classique,
1: and Mure Wood. Wow, so, that's, that's amazing. You know who, who actually lives uh, near Cheshire, but not in Cheshire? This is Stanislav. Our good friend Stanislav, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he needs to get that now. He does. Well, he doesn't want to have people from his town mistake him for someone from Cheshire.
2: That's a good right. point. That's how, that's really, you know, the, it's such a small country. It's all about the accents and the toilets yeah. that people wear. Yes. Yeah. So if you want to check these out, if you want to check out other products of Barrister and Man are ongoing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more for, uh, people of all on the gender spectrum, barristerandman.com use the coupon code, the dive down 2023 for 15% off your first order. We appreciate you all checking that out.
1: All right, Shane. Yeah, it's me. I'm really curious to know how you're going to respond to <laughs> all of those unbelievably crushing disses that stand laid on you in the first segment of this show. Wow, is this true? What do you? You're just laid an enemy. What do you think? Well, I mean, I imagine there could be some friendly ribbing. Unfortunately, there's there's no ribbing. There's no there's no dirt. There's no tea to be spilled. But I oh. did want to make sure I had your attention, okay? Because we're going into the second half of this episode. I'm here again. I'm hoping nobody realizes the time shift here between me before a day of work recording with Stanislav to me after a day of work and after a a lovely dinner at a local pub with my family. Uh, you're you're bookending the day with your Dive
2: Down co-host. That's
1: right. And I still kind of, I I don't know, maybe we're going to cut this, maybe not. But I got to say, I have this green vest on. I have this headset on. I have a gray beard. I actually realized after I walked away from the first segment of the show that I look a little bit like Steve Bannon, which is not a good thing. (laughs) at all uh but i felt like i should keep the vest on for just continuity's sake but um should have done something completely different be nice to me in the comments please everybody be nice be nice (laughs) uh dave I'm, i'm glad
2: to be here uh and the reason why is because i've got a pretty sick deck to talk about i think it might be maybe the most hype deck to come out of the first week of March of the
1: Machine. Yeah, I said it right this time. That's right. March and, of the Machine. And to be clear, we are switching from talking about modern to talking about Pioneer. Oh, you At are this talking point, modern. We talked about four modern decks in the earlier oh. segment, Shane. And now we're going to talk about Pioneer. You have one deck to talk about, and I also have one deck to talk about. Sweet. So I'll go fast. Then. I have five lines of notes. You have five pages of notes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of card text, you know. My friend, the floor is yours on this, (laughs) so let's talk about this most hyped deck of the weekend. I
2: mean, I feel like it is, but it also could be, like, the lens at which I'm I'm viewing the first week. But I feel like this is the one that people really have been talking the most about, and that is the Rona Herald of Invasion combo shell. Mm Mm-hmm. That's in Pioneer. And what's funny is, like, she doesn't really have to be a combo enabler. Like, there are, I think, some fair applications of this card. Yeah. Now, to
1: be clear, we talked about two or three builds of Rona decks with, yeah. with uh, Devin last week on the show. Doomwake, check them out. But it does seem like people's excitement level is circling around one particular build. Yeah. Am I
2: right? I think there's, like, a central build... And there are like sort of branches of that trunk and people are trying to figure out which one will have the most fruit at the end of the branch. This is mm. kind of a strange, just a strained botanist uh,
1: metaphor. But yeah, I strained think this botanist the is one... my favorite guided by voices album.
2: Oh man. I even knew you were going to do guided by voices and I'm so glad. Good job. I'm so glad you went there. So the, the, but this shell, like you said, I think is most popular one and the most potential, the one with most potential. And the reason I say that, and like the, the reason I say that it has the most potential, is because I think that it has the most ways you can build off it. And I guess before we sort of like talk about uh, what those are, maybe we should just quickly talk about what the the, the primary base combo of Rona Herald of Invasion.
1: She's a uh, one can in I, the blue. I'll read this for you. You're gonna be no, talking a lot. You. Let me thank give you, you a
2: break. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Rona. This is a card that we knew was going to be in some combos, but we didn't talk about a lot because we are not combo brewers. But here it is. Rona, Herald of Invasion. It's a generic and a blue for a legendary creature, human wizard. It's a 1-3. It says tap, draw a card, then discard a card. And then it says five generic black Phyrexian. Transform Rona. Nobody cares about transforming it because of the line of text that I skipped, which says... (laughs) Whenever you cast a legendary spell, untap Rona Herald of Invasion. Yes. So legendary spells, what? Things
2: like uh, other other legendary creatures, Planeswalkers, legendary
1: artifacts. Perhaps there's an artifact that we all know that's legendary. Such as Mox Amber. Mm -hmm. There's even an enchantment in this deck that's uh, legendary, if you want. Yeah, good point.
2: so, So all these decks, all these Rona decks are running Mox Amber, And so you cast Mox Amber as your primary legendary spell that untaps Rona. Okay, great, that's cool. But the third piece of this is an old Theros block card, I believe, uh, Retraction Helix. It's just a blue instant and it reads, until end of turn, target creature gains tap, return, target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So basically you target Rona with a spell, typically. There are other applications, but the combo application is target Rona. You can then float mana off your Mox Amber. You tap Rona to return it to your hand. Cast it again for the zero mana. That untaps the Rona. You repeat this process over and over again, generating typically infinite blue mana. But if you have other legendary permanents, you can make other colors of mana. And then weirdly, infinite mana lets you do a lot of random broken things.
1: Yeah, but what's the number one thing that people do with infinite mana in Pioneer, my friend? Uh you tell me there's so many things. There's so many things, but one of them is cast a car in the great creator and yes. get stuff with it out of their sideboard. Yes. To abuse.
2: That's well, that's kind of the interesting wrinkle of this particular deck is I think that previous there, there are a number of things you can do with infinite mana. Like you can uh, you can mill yourself with cards like diligent excavator or something like that. Right. Which is the, the one in the blue one, three, whenever you cast a historic spell, target player mills two cards. You can mill your opponent out or you can like mill yourself to then like cast a uh, Thassa's Oracle. Mm -hmm. That's another way to do it. Like some, you can, you can mill yourself with things like Tyvar in the mix. So uh, you can like bounce your Tyvar and then recast it, mill your deck with the minus each time and then play a Thassa's Oracle for the win. But like you said, people are, again, remembering Karn the Great Creator can do ridiculous things when you have access to a lot of mana. And so with this, like you said, you can cast a Karn. You can't do anything so easy like Walking Ballista any longer. But because you are casting spells over and over and over again, you can cast things like Aetherflux Reservoir. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a four-mana artifact that reads whenever you cast a spell... You gain one life for each spell you've cast this turn. So yeah, great. That's great. That's great, chain. But oh, wait, there's more. You can pay 50 life and it deals 50 damage to any target. It's a big reservoir. It's a big, You got to fill it, gotta, it, it, it
1: and then you're going to use it.
2: That <laughs> <Yeah. It> is. <laughs> that's kind of an absurd kind of visual metaphor where it's like a, a reservoir of 50 life. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of synergies that you can do with a strategy like this. So you have, you have a lot of mana, you can do a lot of things. People are coalescing around Saltai colors in order to get access to Tyvar, which you know works like it does in other creature combo decks. It lets you activate Rona at instant speed. Yeah, other creatures, of course, on the same turn they come down can be activated. It provides recursion out of your graveyard. And so we've seen some Demir decks that have Removal and Hand Disruption, the classic 8-pack of Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. They might be running blue cards like Jace Fringe Prodigy coming back out of the woodwork, Uh, Consider, which can populate your graveyard, help dig for necessary combo pieces, Treasure Cruise, again, to just draw cards, and then, of course, the two combo pieces, Rona and Retraction Helix. So we're kind of dancing around the build I actually played, And the jury is still out on the best build, but Todd Anderson, Tandy himself, of course, has been working on Rona builds early and iterating through them. And I decided to play his latest Sultai version. And what Todd's doing here is he's uh, kind of eschewing the Thassa's Oracle kill. And he likes to be able to play uh, Jagantha as a companion. The mill combo can already work with Excavator, uh without having to play like Fossil's Oracle, which has the two blue pips. And this deck doesn't play excavator either, because we like we were talking about earlier, it uses Karn the Great Creator and his magic wishboard for combo wins. So Todd's deck is designed around a heavy ramp package mm-hmm. of you know eight elves. It has four Kinnan Bonder Prodigy, which is a legendary human druid. And whenever you tap a non-land permanent for mana, you add one mana of any type that permanent
1: produced. So it kind of doubles up your elves. It also doubles up your Mox Ambers. Yeah, this is an extremely broken-y combo card that's been hanging around for people to use for a a long time.
2: Yeah, it's a really, it's kind of a, it's a card that we've seen in combos, right? And Mm -hmm. it's a card, but I think that it's been kind of underutilized as a value engine piece. And I think it, it does some pretty good work as a just, hey, this is just a heavy ramp enabler, uh, and also as a legendary creature to turn on your Mox Amber without having Rona on the board, which is kind of nice. And then there are four Tyvar as well to help provide acceleration, because you can untap mana elves if needed, it allows you to use them the turn that they hit the battlefield, so you can kind of you can actually pretty do some bonkers stuff with like Mox Amber and
1: these Elves make a lot of Amber. Uh, excuse me, make a lot of Mana really early on. Yeah, and extremely importantly, Tyvar also lets you use Rona the turn that you play yes. Rona even with Retraction Helix because the the ability that a Retraction Helix adds to Rona is an activated ability with tap. So if the creature that you give you target with Retraction Helix has Summoning Sickness, it can't tap to do the the ability that Retraction Helix adds. Just to be clear.
2: Yeah, which is—I mean—I'll just cut to the chase on Tyvar in this deck. That is some pretty bonkers stuff because, like, if your opponent like removes your uh, Rona, for example, like a single Tyvar hitting the battlefield can win the game, like on the spot, because you have immediately are able to go off if you have the necessary pieces kind of lingering around somewhere. So that works really well. Yeah. There's some other interesting pieces that Todd has in this deck. He looks like he's sort of maybe testing them out, which is like a singleton reality chip. There are two Micromancer, Four Oath of Nissa, and a single Epiphany at the Drownyard. So these pieces do various things to kind of help you out. Like reality chip lets you peel peel through your deck pretty efficiently. Um, there are some combos, I believe, as well that it can work with that you know weren't things that I was able to really test with, but Reality chip, of course, you can look at the top card of your library anytime, and then you can play lands and cast spells from the top of your library, which is advantageous. And Micromancer is an interesting inclusion and not something that I think people saw a lot of Uh, previously. It's not really cheap at three and a blue, but when she ETBs, you can find either Epiphany or Retraction Helix, both of which can be win cons when you need and you can even get the helix to like combo off, and then eventually bounce the micromancer and recast her to go get the epiphany as well. So she's kind of pulling double duty hmm. in redundancy. And what epiphany does is it's a, a fun instant spell. X and a blue reveal the top. X plus one cards of your library, separate them into two piles. The opponent chooses one pile, which goes into your hand. The other goes into your graveyard. So effectively, if you have access to infinite mana, you can reveal your whole deck and then have a Karn in both piles, which forces them to give you one of them. And then you can win from there. So Micromancer is interesting in that she's serving as a redundant copy of Epiphany and a redundant copy of Retraction Helix, and sometimes the same copy of of, uh, Micromancer can be both. And then Oath of Nyssa is kind of like just a decent smoothing device. It allows you to like find lands, find Rona, find Tyvar, find Karn, can fix your mana for Planeswalkers if you need. You can bounce them. You can do some like cute tricks where you can uh, use Retraction Helix to bounce the Oath of Nyssa and just keep digging through your deck. Uh, It's just a nice overall value piece, I think for sure. And the way this deck actually ends up playing out is surprisingly like another creature combo deck that features Karn and features Tyvar. No. And that's Devoted Druid. Really? So it's funny that
1: I gravitated towards playing this deck. A lot of people might not realize, you talk a lot of uh, negatively quite often (laughs) about about creature combos in modern, but that's just because you've been there. And you've been there specifically with Devoted Druid. Yeah. And, you know, we've... I've even talked and played the, the Devoted
2: Druid decks featuring Tyvar, and there's a lot of things I like about Tyvar's addition to those decks. And there's a lot of things I like about uh, this deck, for sure. Like, I think what's, what's cool about the combo wins in this deck are that you have a lot to do with the mana, which is kind of an issue with other creature combo decks sometimes when they're built in ways that have somewhat narrow ways for you to actually implement a, a infinite green blue whatever mana this deck I think has a, a good amount of redundancy where it's like hey uh, if I have even if it's not infinite mana at the time like if I have infinite ability to like be untapping or even like a few times untap my my rona and reuse her I'm able to like I said before is like dig through with an oath of Nyssa or have you peel a copy of micromancer which gets me a necessary spell that i need which then gets me into another necessary spell that i need and then gets me into the win through like the epiphany plan or something like that so there's a lot of kind of options that can find you a win which i find really satisfying but besides like the combo element to the deck like this has some decent value backup plans because you have a lot of ramp, like I said earlier, from Kinnon and the powerful tools from the Karn Wishboard. So you have like Esseka's Chariot, you have Sky Sovereign, you have Cityscape Leveler. All of those can beat down pretty nicely and then you can quickly get uh, jagantha onto the battlefield and then you're swinging with a five five it's also cool because jagantha um can immediately activate if you have Tyvar out right for even more mana so that's really nice as well so can't really use the mana for a lot of stuff but yeah i mean but that's good mana's mana yeah and there's some other, like, handy wishboard hate pieces, like always, right? you got, like, your Tormod's Crypt and your Stone Brain and your Filig- Filigree Silex and your Haywire mite and a Pithing Needle, Transmogrifying Wand, Mightstone and Weakstone, and then importantly, you have an additional Mox Amber. So you can tutor up the Mox Amber to, like, combo off with. And you can also win, I believe, entirely without Rona with a Paradox Engine, because that costs five mana and reads whenever you cast a spell, untap all non-land permanents you control, and so you can you know, do a lot with this deck with like all your mana elves and mox ambers, and you can combine a retraction helix cast on one of those creatures to like do what Rona does, so you can b- bounce the mox amber over and over again even without her on the board, mm. I believe, right? Like, so you can... Just untap a whole bunch of times. Yeah, like, so you, you cast Retraction Helix, like, on a, a, a mana elf, right? And you can bounce the Mox Amber back to your... You can tap the man, Amber for mana, bounce it back to your hand with the Retraction Helix, cast it back out, and then Paradox Engine triggers. Right, makes everything untap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you don't even need a, a Rona with Paradox Engine. So, like, if someone stone brains your Rona... Or something like that or pithy needles your rona you still have some interesting outs and you know again without infinite mana karn's doing karn things that so you have things that aren't necessarily overly expensive like it's you're, you're going to be fine in a value game beating down with an essica's chariot or casting a sky sovereign and crewing it and taking to the skies and trying to you know kill off some pieces they have on the other side of their board and sometimes you just need like a two mana stone brain to stop another combo deck or things like that. So like you have options, which is always the real value of Karn the Great Creator in decks like this. I think.
1: Yeah, well, that and being a mana sink, right? And a mana That's sink, the, the easiest mana sink
2: can stop your opponents from doing stuff with you know, artifacts. It's just uh, Karn secretly, secretly OP. Oh, I don't think it's a secret. <laughs> yeah, never been a secret. Not so secret, secret. When I was playing this deck, Dave, um, I thought the combo lines came together surprisingly quickly. Like, I definitely won some games on turn three, or I just had a good draw, and I had infinite mana, and I had a card. And then there were other games where, like, Kinnan was just helping me make, like, nine mana on turn four, and so I'm just off valuing my opponent in these in these cases. So I think that there's, like, the... I think that's what Todd's going for with this deck, is, like, hey, I want a reliable combo deck, but I also want to be able to use Karn the Great Creator and kind of the Kinnan value strategy and the Tyvar value strategy to just be able to do other things that are impactful and allow me to win games by you know, tutoring up hate pieces or aggressive artifacts or something like that. One thing I liked a lot is like the decision points were pretty interesting, and that's only within like just a few matches of playing this deck, honestly, where it's like I'm, I'm noticing the amount of lines and the kind of decisions you can make and the value plays that can be made with like something like Retraction Helix, where you can do something stupid where it's just like fizzle removal, but like bouncing your own permanence. So it's like a... a single blue mana counterspell, effectively. You can, like I said, repeatedly bounce Oath of Nyssa to, like, dig through your deck. There's even, like, opportunities for making a little bit of extra mana. Like, you know, you bounce a mana elf with, like, a Tyvar in the battlefield. There's, like, there's like certain lines where you can get one or two bits of mana that can actually turn the tide of the game. I saw that happen to Todd in uh, a tournament he was playing, I think. I watched, like, a Vod of, and... I think someone in the chat mentioned it to him. He was like, "Oh my gosh! Like you're the MVP! Like just got the extra mana that Todd needed to cast a necessary spell and and win from there." Win the game. So, yeah, it was great. And so, like overall, I think the deck is still in the development stage. Like, there's people who are still doing kind of like Jace Fringe Prodigy because it's a legendary creature. I think, right? So that's a legendary.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's right. an alternate. It's an alternate win con, I yeah. think as well. And it's another looter that can help you get looter. through your deck if you want to. Yeah, which yeah, is nice. I mean, that's the
2: kind of thing that, that is just valuable. Like with Rona, even if you don't have her, even if you're not instantly winning with her, she's looting you through your deck. You have other ability to like be digging through your deck. If you have Jace in the deck, then that's another looter as well. So you have a lot of ability to find what you need uh, to go off. And uh, but. You know, this one has no interaction at all, right? Like, it doesn't have yeah. any, like, main deck spell pierce, doesn't have Fatal Push. doesn't have Thought Seize. So it's, it's got it's leaning. one Haywire Mite in yeah. the sideboard and a stone brain and a Silex. And, like, you know, I guess if you want to call Sky Sovereign interaction, potentially... Yeah. Might Stone, Weak Stone yeah. kills
1: something, so... There's
2: some stuff. I mean, there's, there's enough there, right? But it still does all kind of work around being able to use Karn. So, like, someone Pithy Needles your Karn, you're not going to be happy about it. So, I I think that these decks have legs, but I think there's just so many people iterating on these variations, and they all seem to have maybe various strengths. I think that the strength of this one that Todd was going for is consistency and potential other win cons at the same time, because I think that's a smart play. Because, like, you know, we've seen glass cannon combo decks that just don't survive for very long, unless they're truly ridiculous, right? Like, decks like Hammer have shown us the need for these secondary and even tertiary game plans. Mm-hmm. And I think this deck can present those as well. Not necessarily anywhere near as well as Hammer can with like the construct game plan or something like that. And I so I really think that these decks are in kind of the development stage. And I think the absolute best one definitely hasn't been found yet. But the question for me, and I'm I'm guessing that you might be thinking this as well, is like, what is this deck doing that other like don't interact with me and I'm probably going to win style decks are doing like we already have grease fang. We already have Lotus field and I'm not entirely sure what this deck is doing. That's outside of those because besides having like Karn. Right. right. And I don't think there's like a truly legitimate beat down plan because like the rest of the other, besides maybe like some Karn stuff, like but that again relies on Karn and having decent amount of mana. Like your other your other creatures aren't really going to be beating down very well. And I, I think the other angle besides like other game plans is that it's consistent. And I think you you know, you want your combo decks to be consistent. How do we find the pieces that we need before the opponent is stopping us or they're killing us? And I think that this deck is good at that. Because of, like we said, the looting uh, and the recursion of Tyvar as well. So, like it can, it can find what it needs. It can get back what it needs, and then it doesn't necessarily need to untap if you have Tyvar on the board as well. Yeah. So, long story short, of course, I'm initially impressed. I'm initially interested, and I, but I don't think like the format's at risk or anything like this isn't like an inverter or something like that so my grade if we're doing sleeve leave heave i'm gonna give it a sleeve we are sleeve minus thank you and and i think there's a realistic possibility that this is like a new real player in the format like a new shell uh, sort of a devoted style combo deck and people will figure out kind of the the best shells or the shell options depending on the metagame So, I'm into it. I think it's fun. Um, It's definitely, it's thinky, which I appreciate. Like, it's not like I have these two cards or I have these three cards and I do one thing. I think that there's a lot of like interesting, fun lines that one can discover and. And and that feels cool to be like oh if I do this then I make one more thing of mana or I do this and I can bounce this back to my hand and then recast it and then do something else and that's all like kind of like fun stuff and I'm ba- I think we're barely scratching the surface And I definitely barely scratch the surface of it in in my play so yeah it's cool and I think that people are definitely interested in it so I- I'm glad I bought those Mox Amber's like a month or so ago and uh, I have something to do with them good timing although, uh, although Kinnan is not cheap but I don't I don't yeah. think Kinan is like you know, solidly a must have for all these style of decks. Like it's in this one, but I don't know if it's going to be in all of them.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if it was in the deck. It's a good card. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to, it's only going to do more cool things. I think. Absolutely. All right. So a sleeve sleeve minus sleeve minus from Shane here. Dave, what do you have for me? Well, I have a much shorter segment for you. So one card that I really wanted to try to play, you know, That I liked, we all liked, I think, in spoilers. Fairy Mastermind. Oh, sweet. yeah. Fairy Mastermind. I'm glad we're looking at this. Just as a reminder, Fairy Mastermind. A one generic and a blue for a 2-1 flyer with flash. It is the Yudataka World Championship card in this set. And it says, whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card. Then -hmm. it also has an activated ability, three generic and a blue. Each player draws a card. I yeah. like this card right i mean no it's a it seems like it's a it's a good
2: card and i definitely have seen some early uh, discussion on like twitter
1: that it's as good as some people thought yeah well here's the thing i think that there's a lot of different places it could go in different formats May, you know modern's a tough place for it because of renin 6 the pervasiveness of that ability to just ping and almost insta kill one toughness creatures However, you know, not like that stops Ragavan, by the way, but however, in Pioneer, there's one particular tribe that it seems to fit in really well because Fairy Mastermind is in fact a Fairy Rogue. And Rogues, we all might remember, was a deck that was popular in Historic at one point in time, it was popular in Standard at one point in time, and so that's the shell that I tried out. A player named Mike Lee, M-I-K-E-L-E-E, three E's in Lee. Did a pyo yep. prelim with rogues and got a 3-1. Sweet. And that's the list that I base mine off of. And guess what? It's not that uh, surprising. <laughs> I mean, it's four thieves, guild enforcers, four soaring thought thief, three nighthawk scavenger. That, three I, brazen that Borrower. That card,
2: that card's good.
1: Is it I mean, I don't know. I, I see I've seen it do stuff that scared me, but you we'll tell talk, me. We'll talk about it. It also has four Thought Seas, four Drown in the Lock, three Kaido Shizuki, two spells, spell pierce. Three Fatal Push, actually three Spell Purse, now that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the list in visual view, and so it's a little hard to track. Yeah. Go for the Throat, and then a couple Go for the Throat and your and your other stuff. I will say, Mike Lee's list had two Xerath on the Trickster. I cut that card yeah. out just to play for Fairy yes. Mastermind instead. I was going to ask you if you have played more than two. Lower that curve, yeah. Because I wanted to make sure I got to play it, and I did. I got to play a whole lot of fairy masterminds in the uh, three three matches or so that I played with this. I think the thing that's cool about this deck is that it's rogues. That's what's cool about this deck. <laughs> I mean, I the the best thing about it, honestly, is that lots of the creatures have flash on their own. Yeah, and that when you reach the threshold for the eight cards in the graveyard, your soaring thought thief kind of vibe. When you can attack, you know, pump up all your rogues and attack in and get that extra damage in, it's pretty good. Like the rogue lord is pretty fun, pretty interesting. Being able to play Flash without having to get something like Rattle Change in play is pretty good. Fairy Mastermind, you know, it's not every matchup that you get to draw a card off of it, you know, that you get extra cards off of it, but it happens frequently enough that it felt like even just in a deck like this, in a format like Pioneer, that's kind of not that cantrippy. It seemed okay. Mostly, what I was doing was getting extra cards when people were uh, fabling. Mm, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Did have you seen any ability for
2: the rogues deck to force their opponent to draw cards besides the three and a blue activated ability on Fairy Mastermind? Like, are there any kind of abilities that you know of where it's like you
1: and your opponent draw a, you know draw a card or something like I, that? I can't think of it right now in fair. Magic and non-commander Magic. I mean, there's like a Secret Rendezvous, I think, is a card in Strixhaven, but that's not a, that's a white card. That's not in Rogues. I don't know. I I don't think that's like the best plan. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you really want. I never used yeah. the activate, activated ability on Fairy, Fairy Oh, Mastermind. Really? Yeah, I never had time to. Honestly, yeah. I never had the mana to. I never had time to. This deck is pretty low to the ground generally. You're playing what's essentially. I'm not going to say the T word. What's essentially a uh <laughs> using cheap cards to pressure people paying more expensive cards kind of game plan. Yes. And T word, the T word. I'm not going to say the T word. um And in that case, you you generally don't have a lot of extra mana around. Mm-hmm. But that makes sense. The the decks hung together surprisingly well. You know, I saw somebody say that it felt like playing mono blue spirits with Thoughtseize instead of mana beak. Or Light snare, and I think that's mostly true. Although it did just kind of remind me that like thoughtseize is a little bit worse than than counterspells sometimes in different shells, depending, especially in a deck that's already playing blue. Yeah, you can't hold up a thoughtseize. Yeah, but and yet the other problem I felt like with this is like these creatures, even when they're good, (laughs) I just don't feel like they're as good as spirits. Like it's it's not like you don't kill as fast it's not, well, it's not even about killing as fast, because a lot of these creatures have flying. Um, It's about, like, they don't have the extra gravy abilities that Shacklegeist has, that your Nebul Gas Heralds have, that, you know, your Spell Quellers have, and your cards that kind of, like, do what spirits do, the extra text, and those cards are all flying. They have a lord that pumps them plus one, plus one, that's cheap i mean this lord is pretty cheap too but you don't have to um you don't have to meet the condition to make it work yeah so it's kind of i i felt like it hung together pretty well but there's a lot of cards in here that i didn't really like kaido shizuki in particular in pioneer i was like this is not really working out for me yeah i was gonna ask you the kaido thing like what's kaido what's kaido doing for you? I, I don't know. I mean, I like Kaido a lot. I, I, I played Kaido and Shadow in Modern a few times when that was like a possibility around a year ago. Mm-hmm. And that was okay as well. It wasn't amazing, but it was fine. Um, I think it's nice that it's a three-mana Planeswalker, maybe a long-term value engine. You know, being able to plus one to draw a card a few times is a nice thing as long as you keep attacking. If you have to loot, it's not the worst thing in the world. But it's not super powerful. Yeah, I I... <sighs>
2: I'm looking at this, I'm just like, would this just be better as, like, a divination? (laughs) Kaido?
1: Yeah. Like, should I just be drawing cards here? I mean, here's the thing that that I was surprised about this when I came back to this deck. This deck doesn't play Into the Story. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is, like, the classic rogues payoff from the historic-era rogues decks. I know Into the Story costs five or whatever to draw three cards, and then it costs two when you're... um, you know, once you have your eight eight cards in the graveyard condition met. But that really felt like more what I might want over Kaido, or even play like meeting of the minds, where like I'm gonna tap some creatures and convoke it out instead and just have it have a divination at instant speed. Yeah. So I think there's some tweaking that could go on here for sure. I like Fairy Mastermind, not convinced by rogues in Pioneer. For me, this is like a believe minus. Right now, I think, unfortunately, I think if you're into this kind of play with at word, I'm not going to say you should be sticking with Azorius slash Mono Blue spirits. I mean, interestingly,
2: I mean, this is just another
1: data point, but
2: someone named uh, BullzoI went five and two in the Pioneer Challenge on the 23rd with a very similar list. Like they, they ran three Fairy Mastermind and two Spell Pierce, and the rest of the list, maybe like one or two differences in the sideboard, Mm -hmm. but basically same deck.
1: Yeah. And so it's, it's I think people are definitely testing with it. I'm curious how it will evolve. Yeah. I just think there's a lot of optimization to be done in this kind of zone. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to go back to spirits. I don't think I'm going to stick with rogues as far as this goes for now.
2: Man, it even had like three similar decks in the Saturday challenge as well. Mm, in the top thirty-two, yeah, top thirty-two, sixth, eleventh, and twenty-third. So there's mm-hmm. there's something here. Like, uh, uh, I think the ones that I want to play involve Shieldred because uh, she they have yeah, too. She's incredible.
1: Yeah. So I will say when I was playing this and someone played a Shieldred against me, I was like, "Cool, great, <laughs> love it,
2: thanks." Oh my gosh, Shieldred! You're so expensive. I'm never gonna have any Shieldreds. I'm glad
1: you own Shieldred, Dave. I have two oh i mean that's enough for this deck looks like people are playing too right now so my god i tried to so hard to i opened so many boxes of dominaria (laughs) trying to open an extra one i was like it's fine i'll get another one my one of my first packs had a Shieldred in it and then i never saw one again and then i bought one when we were in atlanta for the rc yeah for a slim 42 dollars man it's now 80 something dollars card yeah it looks like i think low is like 70 bones rough crazy crazy real rough well, I'm glad right.
2: like I mean it seems like an interesting looking deck. I would I would definitely play it. I, th- I think Stan
1: was even talking about trying to experiment with this in Pioneer, right? Uh he seems like he's just pretty mono spirits right now, but maybe he'll give it a shot. Cool. So
2: overall, I wasn't here for the first part of the episode, and I don't know how you all closed out your segment. But how are you feeling? Just, just talking a lot of bad things about you. That's good. I mean, so I feel like you're trying to make me say bad things about Stan. And then you're <laughs> going to like you be like, he didn't say anything bad at all. I'm going to cut it into like a montage. You just got pranked. Mm-hmm. How, how are you feeling about the first week or so of the impact of March of the Machine on Modern and Pioneer?
1: Yeah, I mean, feels kind of par for the course to me a little bit yeah you know like these it's kind of like we have a whole lot we have that level of brewing where people are trying out a lot of stuff i think a lot of this stuff is going to fall by the wayside unfortunately i do think that the rona deck that you were talking about some version of that there's a good good chance that that's going to be something more permanent i think it is a fragile kind of creature combo deck we don't totally have one of those right now floating around pioneer in the same way we got a land combo we got another land combo graveyard we got, combo kind of graveyard combo but this one is is a bit different you know so i think there's a chance that, that floats around just because of that i think when it comes to modern you know the decks the four decks that stan and i played with in modern you know most of what we talked about were very techie upgrades to decks that already existed and one yeah. new deck that he had and i think all of those are questionable as to whether they're going to stay for sure but I think this is all fun. It's all good stuff. It's all interesting stuff that's going on. And we haven't even talked about everything that's happened. You know, sure. like Devin, for example, this weekend, top aided a Pioneer Challenge with a red-green red green boat stack essentially with ancient Imperiosaur in it as well which is a card we talked about with Stan earlier I think there's more stuff like that to come as well where people are just trying out different decks we haven't seen any of the praetors yet we haven't seen any of the really big flashy cards we've really seen some of the kind of under the, under the not under the radar cards but the cards that I think we thought were good but weren't necessarily a zillion dollars to buy you know I wonder yeah. what's going to happen when the really expensive cards get good if they do
2: yeah Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in the impact of this set. I like, like you said, I don't think there's anything that's like blowing the doors off necessarily, but I think there's some like fun build arounds, and then some interesting additions. Like I know that I'm sure we'll be talking in the coming weeks for things like uh, Pelucranos and that tribute to the World Tree in Model Green Devotion, which I have seen do work already, and I've heard other people say are doing work. So that could revitalize Mono Green a little bit. I think that there are, you know, the, I know Devin's been playing with the invasion of Tarkir, like dragons decks. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear his, his thoughts on those in the coming weeks. I think there's still more discovering to be done. And I think that it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit like a brewer's paradise right now. I know the the fellows over at uh, Faithless Brewing seem like they're doing some fun experimentation, like seed shark, and rona decks of their own and stuff like that
1: so there's a lot of of fun for people to have i think with this set absolutely and so stay with us in the future to hear more about those but for now that does end this week's show are you going to close us out dave i'm going to close it for the oh, first man. time in a close while it. if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and if you use apple podcasts please leave us a rating and review and if you use youtube please go give us a subscribe on youtube where we have been releasing video episodes for the last little while we're going to keep that going for a couple more see what happens smash that subscribe button please smash that like and subscribe button we, we, need,
2: we need better uh, thumbnails Dave, we need you. we need
1: youtube face like rona did what in pioneer yeah. Whoa. <laughs> hands up against the side <laughs> of my face <laughs> gotta have uh, the hands exactly gotta have the hands and the shocked look Okay, so once you're done with YouTube, if you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or reach out, you can try the YouTube comments, or you can tweet us at the Dive Down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you want to support us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Also check out our store at thedivedown.com slash store. More stuff coming there soon. Also shout, this is also shout to. First time I've seen this typo in in the outro, we've done this for like 100 episodes. Also shout out, to Manitraders for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for Manitraders using po- promo code The Dive Down 2023, all one word, for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic online cards. Get some amazing shave soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister Man using code The Dive Down 2023 for 15% off your first order, and save money on paper cards at Nerdbage Gaming with code Dive Eight for 8% off your order. As always, special thanks to the band Nowhere in Space Blood. Those are two separate bands, by the way. Nowhere, Space Blood not nowhere in space blood for letting us use their music and until next week get out there and tap and untap and tap and untap and tap and untap your dreams